It's uh, amazing what you hear and humbling what you hear sometimes. I was uh, sitting outside or standing outside first service and uh, heard somebody say, why are they passing out the pennies? And uh, the one standing next to him says, well, I heard Tim is preaching. I think they're paying for us to be here. Uh, Got to put you in your place, you know. Uh, I'm going to show you a few uh, few, uh, pictures uh, about perspective. You see this, uh, these pyramids, and, and from all, all uh, appearances, uh, it's out in the middle of the desert, right? Not quite the case. If you uh, look from another angle, you see it's actually right next to a large or huge city. Uh, next picture is a, uh, looks like a beautiful park, could be out in Fort Scott, America, Right? This one just happens to be smack dab in the middle of Manhattan in uh, New York City. Uh, Next picture is uh, one of the Taj Mahal. And you see the grounds. I don't know if you've seen pictures of the Taj Mahal before, but, I mean, there is not a a, a speck of dirt anywhere. It is absolutely immaculate. You scan back a little bit, and you see uh, a little different picture. A lot of trash and stuff just surrounding that. The last picture I want you to look at is this uh, castle. When you look at it and you, you, you see uh, some smaller things around, you think, well, it's probably in a, in a city in maybe Germany or something like that. In reality, it's like out in the middle of nowhere. Out in the middle of the Perspective makes a difference, doesn't it? When you, when you scan back and you, and you look at it from a different angle, perspective makes a difference. Uh, you know the old saying, uh, it's... it's, it's plain as the nose on your face, but unless you have a nose like mine, you can't see the nose on your face, right? And even if you could, what you see is not necessarily what I'm going to see. Um, A guy by the name of Edmund Wilson said that no two persons have ever read the same book because everything that you read comes with your own personal bias, your experiences, uh, the way you were raised, everything you read comes with that personal bias. And one thing that we should always strive to, uh, to, for is perspective, right? Uh, we should look for, we should strive for perspective. Uh, George Eliot wrote that it is a narrow mind that cannot look at a subject from various points of view. So whatever the subject is, we should be tr- trying to see it from different perspectives, from different views. Because you cannot get a full picture unless you do that. For example, uh, all the people on the Titanic... And all, all of us, we, we think that was a horrific tragedy when it went down, right? Uh, for the fresh lobster on board, it was an answer to prayer. Now, see, I, I, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And you did the exact same thing first service did. You're going, <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, thankfully, God knew this. God knew that we needed perspective. Uh, he gave us uh, perspective in the Gospels. He had four different writers uh, talk about, write about the exact same thing. You notice he didn't do this for any other subject, just the Gospels, just the birth of his son. So maybe we should take notice. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus from the eyes, from the viewpoint of some of the different writers of the Gospel. Uh, we're going to look at it from the, from the viewpoint of Matthew from the eyes of Luke and from the eyes of John. And then at the end, we're going to try to take a look at it from the perspective of heaven. 
and try to get a, a good idea of, of, of how the birth of Christ means from what it means from different people's perspective. You're going to see different characters highlighted. Uh, you're going to see different things that stood out. None of them are any better or worse than any of the others. They're just different. And when you take all of those views, all of those perspectives, you, become, you, be, you begin to get a clearer picture of the birth of Christ and what it means to all humanity. And let's be honest, we've heard the Christmas story. We've read it numerous times. Uh, maybe we should be looking at it from someone else's perspective. And, and, and maybe if we do that, we will see some things we hadn't noticed before. And so that's what I want you to do over the next few weeks uh, as we go through this, is that you just ask God to give you a fresh perspective of what the birth of Christ means. And maybe it'll change the way that you deal with life today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. I am uh, tasked to look at the birth through the eyes of Matthew. Now the thing is, Matthew really doesn't talk about the birth much. Uh, when you when you read uh, Matthew's story, uh, he wrote primarily about Joseph, uh, and then he jumps all the way to the to the visit from the Magi, and that happened weeks, months, could have possibly been years later. Uh, we're, we're not even sure. Um, but to gain the perspective that we talked about today, we're we're going to have a conversation about Joseph. That's all I'm talking about. I'm really not talking any 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 about anything else other than the life of Joseph. Because I think there's a good reason why Matthew highlighted Joseph. So here's a question for you. Why do you think God chose Joseph? Of all the people in all the world at that point in time, why did God choose Joseph? The quiet Joseph. Did you realize that there are no recorded words of Joseph in Scripture? No recorded words. Now, most of the other people in the Christmas story had words uh, the, the shepherds, you know, we, we hear what they say, we hear what the angels say, we hear what Mary said, uh, we hear a lot of different people. We don't hear what Joseph says. All we have is his, this quiet, unassuming attitude. So I think maybe a good goal for us today is, is to try to figure out why God chose Joseph. And maybe through that we catch a glimpse of what God looks for in each one of us. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is where we're at. And we're going to read that, and then we're going to jump back and, and, and start uh, uh, putting a few of the verses in more detail. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which was born, which was conceived in her, is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now I want to jump back real quickly to... to uh, 
uh, verse 18. Because when I really began to study this text, uh, that verse jumped out to me. And I, I, I have to admit, I usually kind of blow by uh, that and get to the meat of the Scripture. We all kind of know what happens. And uh, so I, 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 don't, I didn't really study it. But I want you to look uh, for your, uh, just for a moment uh, at verse 18. Uh, and we're going to read it real quickly again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Found to be with child. Put yourself for just a moment in the perspective of Joseph and your fine fiance, this uh, beautiful betrothed of yours, out of the blue comes up pregnant. Now, I've got a, a pretty vivid imagination, but the first thing that popped into my mind is, man, how did that conversation go? So, here's what I come up with. Don't know if it's true, just what I come up with. I'm playing both parts, Mary and Joseph. Here's Mary. So, honey, how was your day today? Joseph. Fine. Remember, he was a man of few words. Mary. Yeah, yeah, mine, mine was good, too. Mine was good. Had, uh, went down to the Y, worked out a little bit, um, made this really cool bread basket, uh, had lunch down at the club, uh, went shopping a little bit, found out I was pregnant. Uh, you know, just a, just a normal day. What? Yeah, pregnant. Weird, huh? But hey, no worries. I was faithful. I have not been with another man. Now, again, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's perspective, Joseph's view. Man, what do you do? Your betrothed has just came out and announced that she was pregnant and then has the audacity to say, oh, but I've been faithful. Everything's good. I mean, seriously? It doesn't work that way. I mean, I, I, I'm, I might be a little naive, but I'm no fool. I know it doesn't happen that way. It's like saying your dog ate your homework, right? And I mean, no, nobody believes that. But look at Joseph's response, verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Wow, what a response. And I think those are the first two clues that we get uh, of why, why God chose Joseph to be Jesus' surrogate father. You get two, two things from this verses. Joseph was a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. First of all, Joseph was righteous. He was a morally right, virtuous, upstanding, God-fearing, God-following man. Someone who always put God first, even when it didn't make a lot of sense even when it went against conventional wisdom, even when it went against what we think and what we desire. That's the kind of person God looks for. That's the kind of person God chose in Joseph, the kind of person he entrusted his child to. So first reason, first clue that we get why God chose Joseph, well, he's a righteous man. Second of all, uh, we see that Joseph did not want to disgrace Mary. Again, put yourself in Joseph's views, uh, Joseph's, Joseph's view. When something like that would happen to us, would, be, would, would the first thing be Mary or would it be ourself? I mean, think about it. 
If that happened to me, the first thing I would have thought about was, woe was me. What, what did I do to deserve this? But Joseph went a different direction completely. Clue number two, God looks for someone who has an attitude of humility. Someone who's always looking out for the interests of others. So how do we stack up here? Are we more concerned with others or are we more interested in what we want? And please don't blow this off and say, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at at putting God first in my life. I'm I'm pretty good at, uh, at putting others next. Because if you're anything like me, when I really inspect my life, a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my decisions revolve around myself. What I want or what I think is best for me. Now let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with having preferences, right? I mean, uh, for example, song service. Uh, There's a lot of people that would prefer hymns over choruses. A lot of people prefer choruses over hymns. A lot of people that think the, the music is too loud, some people think it needs to be, it needs to be louder. Some don't, doesn't like to stand at all, while others want to be standing and raising their arms the entire time. Absolutely preference, preferential, nothing wrong with those. The problem is, is when we start to think our preferences are right, simply because they are our preferences. Everybody should be thinking like me. And we lose the perspective that we talked about earlier. We stop looking at what is best for others and begin believing the church is here for me, to serve me. If we ever get to the point that we are not happy to be here, excited to be here to praise and worship God, simply because what I like, my preferences are not being done, then we, I think we need to take a hard look back at Joseph's life. Why did God choose Joseph? Because he put God's plans first and others' needs next. God's desire for me and what will always be best for me is when I do that, when I put his, his, his needs first and, and, and others' next. And that's what he looks for in us, what he found in Joseph, a man who was all in, completely in. And he had the privilege of raising Jesus. What a blessing that must have been. So let's continue on, verses 20 through 23. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that has has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for uh, for for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord, which the through the prophet, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, and shall bear him a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph hears from God through this dream that this pregnancy, this obstacle that he is facing, this horrible twist that is unraveling his plans right before him, is in fact a gift from the Holy Spirit. This event that probably shook Joseph to the core was a gift. It was a blessing from God. Now, when things come up that we don't expect, something that derails our plans and puts us in a position that we would never have dreamed of, it is so difficult to keep perspective, isn't it? So difficult to trust God. 
Because I'm confident Joseph uh, had made plans of how things would go. Uh, I mean, everybody does. When you have a wedding coming up, uh, you make plans. You prepare for the big day. And I am just as confident that Mary showing up pregnant was not in those plans. And yet he trusted God. Hear what the angel said to him. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us the spirit of fear. So if God didn't give us, who did? It's from Satan himself. The angel must have known the fear that was coursing through Joseph's veins. A fear of the future, of what it's going to look like. Joseph might have been thinking, now what? Now what am I going to do? My life, my plans are crashing down around me. Have you ever been there? However, when life gets turned upside down, who shows up? The angel. With words of encouragement and wisdom, with strength and comfort, the angel's telling him, telling Joseph, don't go there. Fear is from the enemy. Don't go there. So when you fear, when that fear begins to well up inside of you because of uh, your life has has turned upside down in some form or fashion, what do you do? Who who do you turn to? Do you turn to uh, friends and family, maybe maybe your spouse? Do you run to the preacher or a counselor or someone? If our first reaction is is to talk to anyone Hear this, if my first reaction is to talk to anyone but God, we are turning, turning to the wrong one. Now certainly God uses other people uh, to help out in, in those circumstances. But we must never forget that God is our most faithful relationship. The only one that we can always count on. He's always there. Sometimes uh, he reaches out to us, sometimes he is waiting for us to reach out to him. But he is always there with words of encouragement and wisdom, comfort and strength. And what does Joseph, how does Joseph respond? Verses 24 and 25. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we hear that the angel spoke to Joseph through this dream. Don't fear. Here's what's happening. Here's what you need to do. And what was Joseph's response? Action. He arose and did exactly what was commanded of him. Now, I don't don't want to belabor this point, but let's be realistic. None of what he was asked to do was going to be easy. Not only was he asked to take this young lady to be his bride that was pregnant, and and the, the humiliation and embarrassment that would surely that would bring but also not to have relations with her. If you get embarrassed easily, I apologize for that. But to fulfill strict scripture, Mary was supposed to be a virgin when she gave birth. So again, guys, let's be real for a second. You've just married your beautiful wife. And God has created marriage for the man and the woman to become one and enjoy each other. And he says, oh, but Joseph, not you. You need to just back away for a while. Uh, I want you to get, be married to her, but you can't touch her for like nine months or longer. 
Now, if it were me, I'm trying to bargain with God. So, God, just, just, just a little bit. And he's going, no, no, nothing. But, God, please, just, you know, no. This is my plan. Now, we can make light of this a little bit. I think it's one more piece of evidence of why God chose Joseph. Because when he was asked to do something, regardless of how difficult it was, he did it. No questions. No complaints. No negotiation, just obedience. First time obedience. And this is where I want to land for a while this morning. When we hear from God, what is our response? When we, uh, when we uh, or what do we do? When God lays out a plan for us, like he did with Joseph, what do you do? Is our response uh, immediate obedience or negotiation? Do we trust him explicitly or do we doubt? So I'm going to give you a quick test and then you can grade yourself uh, on where we day. And I'm going to use some modern day examples here. You are in a store and you see someone that looks like they might need some help. And you're prompted to go help them. But as you get a little bit closer, you realize that this person doesn't look at all like you. They, they smell and they're dressed quite differently than you, very unkempt. And they're muttering to themselves underneath their, their voice. Do you still help? Your child is driving home at night and it's late. And they've got a long drive ahead of them. And it's raining. And there's a chance that that rain is going to turn to ice or snow. Do you worry? National championship game is scheduled on TV and it's your team. And you've been looking forward to this game all year. And that afternoon of the game, an opportunity to serve comes open. There's a lady that needs some leaves raked, and she's a shut-in. Do you serve? And here's a big one for you. Finances are tight. There never seems to be enough money to go around. And it's Christmas. Do you tithe? Because here's where the rubber meets the road. You either trust Him in all things or in nothing. You can't put your faith in God in some things and not in others. It might work that way with things or other people, but it doesn't work that way with God. He demands us to be all in. Complete trust. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Jesus is talking, uh, and he's, he's talking to the church in Laodicea. Here's what He says. I know your deeds. I know you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Please hear this. What made Joseph special was not his belief in God. Anyone can believe in God. Scripture even says that the demons believe in God. Believing in God is, it, believing God is capable of doing something is one thing. But putting yourself in a position where that you must trust God to do it because you can't do it, do it for yourself is something completely different. That's putting faith into action. And I'm not talking about being forced into that situation through some kind of illness or accident. I'm talking about willingly putting your faith and trust in Jesus and stepping out and doing something that only you can do through Him. Sometimes there's a price or a risk to putting your trust in Him. 
maybe a danger some, or some potential loss. But if there's no potential for loss, are we really trusting Him? Or are we still putting our faith and trust in ourselves? Scripture is full of great examples of this obedient faith. Trust in action. We all know the story of David and Goliath, right? 1 Samuel 17, uh, little man versus big man. And uh, it's a great story. Everyone was afraid of Goliath, and rightly so. Uh, it looked like an unfair fight. And everyone's telling David that this is complete suicide. And from an earthly perspective, it, it was. But he wasn't looking at it from an earthly perspective. He was looking at it from a faith perspective. He was looking at it from the perspective that if God's on my side, what do I have to fear perspective. And we know the end of the story, right? Goliath gave the new meaning to the saying he lost his head. Seriously, gosh, guys, that's funny. You should be laughing. Thank you, thank you. Uh, somebody first service, I said that, and he said, hey, I was laughing. That was good. And I said, well, you're the only one. Uh, another good example is Peter, Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. And this is my favorite story of Peter. This is, this is so good. And Peter's in the boat, and he sees Jesus coming to him, walking on the water. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Just simple command, come. And I can, I can, just, I can picture Peter's face as, he, as he, he's just grinning ear to ear, and he jumps out of the boat, and he takes off towards Jesus. Now, unfortunately for Peter, his faith was small. And he began to look around at the winds and the waves and began to sink. And I see Jesus. And what, the words that we have recorded for him from, from Scripture is that Jesus looks at him and grabs his hand as he pulls him up and says, Oh, Peter, you have little faith. That's all that was recorded, but I, I really believe Jesus said more than that. I think he said, Oh, Peter, Peter, you had this. You were walking on water. Why did you look around? Why did you take your eyes off me? You had this. I am the only perspective you need. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have faith so bold and so exploding that you stepped out of the boat in the middle of the water, or in the middle of the lake, and walked on water? Peter's example shows us two quick things. It shows us first how easy it is to look at our circumstances and see things from an earthly perspective, why something isn't possible, why something can't be done, and we lose our faith. And at the same time, we can see what can be accomplished when we do put our faith in Jesus. When we see things from Jesus' perspective, that all things are, in fact, possible. And when we finally realize that faith means stepping out of the boat. So what about you? Have you gotten out of the boat? Have you taken that leap of faith in all aspects of your life? Or are you still, still clinging to something? Are you still clinging to the side, unwilling to trust God who created the water and the wind and the waves? And missing out on all, the God, all that God has in store for you. There's a lot more at stake than you realize, folks. 
Joseph understood this. Regardless of what was asked of him, he was in. He was all in. He was ready and willing to do it. No questions, no excuses, just obedience. And he trusted God completely. He could not have understood all that was taking place around him. But it didn't matter. He expressed that faith through obedience. His actions confirmed his trust and his allegiance to God. Sometimes our actions don't necessarily reflect our words. We say one thing, but our our endeavors, our actions, actually say something quite different. Sure, I trust God, but there isn't anything wrong with worrying over my children, right? That's a parent's job. Sure, I have faith, but not when it comes to my relationships. So-and-so wronged me, they hurt me, and I have every right to hold a grudge. Or, yeah, I I believe the Bible. I I believe what God's Word is true, but not not in my finances. Come on. That's, That's Old Testament stuff. Or that's just the church wanting in my pocket. Please do not allow Satan's lies to cloud your judgment. There's an old saying that goes, who you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you say. Because we like people to believe we have faith, right? We we like to believe we have faith. But I don't see many mountains moving. Certainly not in my life. It's time to stop talking about about faith and get out of the boat. Exercising our faith and becoming more and more dependent on God. I pray for my kids all the time. And I know most of you do as well. And I pray for the usual things that we all pray for, you know, uh, their, for their relationships and that God would protect them and use them. But I always end my prayer with this, that every day that they will grow more and more dependent on God and less and less dependent on their own abilities. Because I know how hard that is. And I want my kids to experience the life God has in store for them. And that only comes when we put our faith completely in God. So I've got to ask you again, because your answer to this question has huge ramifications. What are you still holding on to? What is it that you haven't completely trusted God in? Is it relationships? Holding on to that grudge or, or just, just an unforgiving spirit? Maybe it's finances for you. And you just, just cannot let go of your finances, especially at this time of the year, and trust God's promises about tithing. Or maybe for you it's worry. You struggle with giving up control, and worry is what you have issue with. Whatever it is, God is worthy of your trust. It's time to step out of the boat. Step out in faith and keep your eyes on Jesus. He is worthy of your faith and trust, and he will never, and you will never experience the life God has for you until you do. Until you trust him completely. Step out of the boat and experience life like Joseph did. A man God chose to raise his son. What does God have in store for you? You'll never know until you step out of that boat. You were all given a penny as you walked in today. And we toss pennies around like uh, like they aren't worth much. But maybe they're worth more than you think. There's a story told of, of of a man, a very wealthy man, owned a business. And, uh, he, uh, uh, made a habit, because he was very generous, made a habit of taking some of his employees out uh, for dinner to a, to a nice, expensive restaurant. And so uh, he asked this young couple, they had just started working for his, his company, and said, hey, I'd like to take you out to this dinner. And, and so they, 
he, uh, he gets in his limo and they go and pick up this couple and they take him to this restaurant, drop him off, and they're walking into the restaurant and all of a sudden the guy stops and he looks down. And the couple standing behind him and they're going, what's, what's he doing? Is he, is he, did, he, did he drop something? Did he lose a contact? What, what's he doing? They weren't sure whether to go around him or just wait, so they sit there and waited for a while. The guy just stood there for a while, just looking down. And then he reached down, and he picked up a penny. And he looked at that penny and kind of rubbed it a little bit and had this great big smile on his face. It was just like he had found a rich treasure. And then he slipped it into his pocket, patted his pocket, went on into the restaurant. And so they went in, had this wonderful meal. I mean, they were, they were getting to experience things that they would never be able to afford themselves and just having a great time. But this, it just kept gnawing on him. Why did he, why did he stop and get that, that penny? And uh, so at the end of the meal, they said, I got to ask you, sir. I mean, uh, you don't need the money. You got more money. You know what to do. Why, why did you stop and pick up that penny? And he, he, he took up the penny and he said, you know, this penny means something to me. Because there's some words on here that mean something to me. It says, in God we trust. And he says, when I, when I see a penny, I think it's God prompting me to evaluate my life. And that's what I do. He said, every time I see a penny, I, I say, okay, God, do I really trust you in every aspect of my life? Do I really trust you with everything? And then I repent of the things that I don't, and I ask God, and I, I, I praise God for him being trustworthy he said you see that 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 penny means a lot to me because it is God's way of opening a conversation with me and that's invaluable my prayer for you today is that every time that you see a penny that you look at your life and you evaluate and say God do I really trust you in all things or am I still holding on to something that's preventing the life that you have called me for. It's waiting. It's there. Joseph found it. Joseph got to raise Jesus. What's God have in store for you? He just ask you to trust Him. Trust Him with your life. Let's pray to you. Father, we are so unworthy of having a God like you. But we are so thankful for Jesus that makes all things possible. We are so thankful that you are trustworthy. Help us, Father, to give up ourselves, to let go of anything, Father, that's holding us back from the life you have called us for. Father, we need to trust you. We must trust you. I know you look at us sometimes and you think, you trust me with your life, but you won't trust me with your finances. You trust me with your life, but you won't trust me with your relationships. Father, let that never be. Help us to trust you with all things, because you are trustworthy. Father, I thank you for making this possible through your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name.